Welcome again, everyone. We're so glad you've joined us today and happy July 4th weekend. We're so grateful for the freedoms that we enjoy as a people and we want to continue to work toward a more perfect union. And I'm so thankful uh, that we are so blessed as a people. There was a farmer who had decided to sell his farm. As he worked on his farm every day, he just got very discontent with the condition of his barns and his fences and all the problems that he had to deal with every day. And so he called a real estate agent and asked him to list his farm. And the real estate agent said he would be happy to. And he said, I'll write up a description and then I'll call you back and read through it and make sure you're happy with it before we list it. So the real estate agent wrote up this description about the farm and he called up the farmer and said, all right, I want to read this to you. Here's, here's the way I want to list it. Ideal location, spacious house, large barns, well-bred stock, a beautiful lake, rich plus pasture land. And the farmer said, wait a minute, read that again. So he read through all of that again and the farmer interrupted him and said, wait, don't list the farm after all. I've decided not to sell it. I've been looking for a place like that all my life. You see, we can make ourselves miserable by focusing on the negative if that's what we're looking for all the time. If you're always looking for what's wrong with your house or what's wrong with your family or your marriage or your church or your job, then you could just make yourself miserable and rob yourself of joy day in and day out. We often credit Norman Vincent Peale for being the father of the power of positive thinking. But the truth is the Apostle Paul wrote about it over 2,000 years ago. For example, in Philippians 4 verse 8, he said this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He's saying you need to focus on the positive. Well, last week we began a new series called Navigating the New Normal. And we started with Paul's teaching that we need to learn to pray with thanksgiving. And remember, Paul, in his circumstances, is under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard 24-7. He's living and experiencing a new normal for his life. And yet the theme of this letter is joy and rejoicing. Paul was not saying everything was great in his life. And that's why he was positive. Paul is revealing that in the midst of a new normal that wasn't so great, if you looked at it that way, yet still there was joy and rejoicing. So today I want us to focus on three different areas where Paul could have been extremely negative. And we're going back to Philippians again, still in chapter 1 and picking up with verse 12. And it begins with this idea that, that Paul had a reason he could have been negative, And one of those reasons was the unpleasant circumstances that he was living in. In the last few chapters of the book of Acts, we read about what's happened to Paul over the last four years. He has been attacked by a vicious mob in Jerusalem. He was falsely accused by Roman soldiers who, were, who mistook him for a, a fugitive they had been looking for. The Jews tried to assassinate him while he was in prison. He was escorted by 270 soldiers to Caesarea to be incarcerated there. He had false witnesses testifying against him. For two years, he was in prison before he got to appeal his case to Caesar. And when he set sail for Rome to go before Caesar, he was shipwrecked on the Isle of Malta for three months. And when he got to Rome, he was chained to a guard for two years while he waited for his trial. 
Someone has said if you looked up victim in the dictionary, you would find a picture of the Apostle Paul. But Paul doesn't speak like a victim. He doesn't share an attitude of a victim with those that he's trying to influence. Listen again. Let's pick up with verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Beginning with verse 12, Paul lists some positive results of what seemed to be very negative circumstances. One of them is this. Roman soldiers were able to hear about Christ. Now, can you imagine being that Roman soldier who is a pagan, who doesn't believe in Paul's God or the Christ that he preached? Can you imagine that soldier being chained to the Apostle Paul all the time? Now, they rotated soldiers. They probably took shifts. So any of those soldiers, though, would be hours every day or every night with the Apostle Paul. At first, you might be afraid that he would get away, but then you might be afraid that you would never get away. I mean, all Paul, it seems like, was talking about was his faith, his witness for Christ, uh, his advancement of the gospel, the churches that have been established. He's, he's talking about that all the time, it seems. And the Apostle Paul is seeing that one of the greatest results of that is that palace guards were hearing the gospel who otherwise would never have heard it. You see, he sees the good in the bad circumstances. Later on in Philippians 4 and verse 22, he says this. He says, all God's people here, he's talking about Rome, send, your, send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. You see, God had used Paul's time being chained to a Roman guard to not only influence the guards, but when the guards went back to the palace of Caesar, guess what they were doing? They were sharing what Paul had shared with them with the people in the palace, Caesar's household. And some of Caesar's own household had become believers and followers of Christ and were sending their greetings to their brothers and sisters in Christ through Paul. You see, one of the positive results was how Roman soldiers heard about Christ. Another positive result, Paul says here, is that Christians were being encouraged by what was going on. Because Paul kept a good witness, because he was still sharing his testimony and, and preaching the gospel, he said other Christ followers were being emboldened by what was happening to him to share their faith and to share their message. They were, he says, more confident in the Lord and were more daring in proclaiming the gospel themselves without fear. Because Paul wasn't cowering in fear, it emboldened other Christians to be more courageous in the sharing of their faith. So what looked like a bad thing, God was using for a good thing. You see, our new normal, there's not everything, it's not good about it, but I believe he's the same God who could still do good things through this time. Well, another positive result was that there was a greater dependence on God because of it. Paul seems to be indicating that these Christians, before he was imprisoned, were more dependent on him than they should have been. 
they, they were more just counting on him and depending on him to be the messenger, to be the one sharing the faith, to be the one uh, giving the message to the people who needed to hear it. But now that Paul could not do that in person, guess what? They were learning to be more dependent on God to do those things themselves. What a great transformation. You see, that's my goal as a pastor. That's the goal of all the leaders here at the church is that not only that God uses us to share the message, but that when you learn and you grow, you become more confident and dependent on God. And then you can be more bold in sharing your own faith because you own it. It's yours. It's not dependent on me or anybody else. God can use the new normal that we find ourselves in. For some really good things. So Paul faced, first of all, he faced the challenge of these unpleasant circumstances. But another challenge that he faced was that he had to deal with unreasonable people while he was there. Let's pick up with verse 15. Paul says, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing, Paul says, is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. We all know some people who seem to think that they can make themselves look bigger by tearing other people down. Uh, you've experienced that, I'm sure. That, that if someone seems to be having success, uh, that, that their goal is to tear them down and they think it makes them look better in the process. And Paul's ministry was no different. Paul had become very popular and very influential, uh, having great power and influence among all the Christians and all the churches that he had established and witnessed to. And it seems like there were some others who wanted to preach the gospel who were jealous of Paul and his fame and his notoriety. And they saw him being in prison now as an opportunity for them to keep Paul held down while they made themselves look better. And the temptation would be to really attack those people for what they were doing. I know even among churches today in the new normal that we have, there are some churches that have already gone back into their buildings and they're holding services again. And the temptation is for some is to say, oh, well, our church is not doing that. So they don't have faith. They're not strong. They're not, they're not really committed. So, so the other churches look better compared to the ones who aren't back in their buildings yet. And the temptation would be to say, well, we could be critical of them for being back in their buildings too soon, Right. But what does it matter if Christ is being preached? Whether online or in the building or wherever, by whoever, it really doesn't matter as long as the truth of Christ is being proclaimed. There shouldn't be any jealousies or comparisons between the two. The goal is for Christ to be lifted up because as he said, if he's lifted up, he's going to draw all people to him. So the goal has to be lift up Jesus. So we shouldn't ever think that we make ourselves look better by tearing somebody else down, whether it's a church or a friend or a co-worker or anybody in our lives that we have contact with. 
There was one lady who told of her mother's family tree, a craft that she had done uh, as her family was getting larger. She, she made this on the wall and, and for every family member, she put an apple on an actual tree that she had put on the wall. And in that apple, she put the name of every family member on the branch of that family that they were in. Well, this lady said that her sister got a divorce and they all wondered what would the mother do with the name of the ex-husband and his apple on that tree? Would, they, would she take the apple off the tree? And what the mom did was she didn't take the apple off the tree. Instead, she just painted a worm over where the name used to be. <laughs> we can relate to that, can't we? But here's the deal. With Christ, as long as he's being lifted up, as long as people are actually honoring him and pointing people to him. We don't have to like everything about them or what they do or don't do or what they say or don't say. We can just be thankful Christ is being proclaimed. And we need to celebrate that and not fight against that. The scripture says this about the battles that we're in. Uh, it says our battle is not against flesh and blood. That means we shouldn't be attacking people. The real battle is with Satan the influence and the work and the deception of Satan. And so our battle is against the spiritual forces of evil that we, we can't even see sometimes. So attacking people is not the answer. Lifting up Jesus is the answer. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans 15, 1, there's a principle that we need to apply to ourselves. It says this, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Sure, we could attack people and maybe feel good in a moment of doing that. But if we're really strong in Christ, we won't feel the need to do that. We don't have to try to please ourselves. Our goal is to please the Father. So there's no reason for us to attack anyone, even if we disagree with them strongly in different areas. Instead, let's just proclaim what we believe to be true and show the evidence for it and call people to see that and know that and follow that. Let's keep our focus where it needs to be. Well, Paul did face unpleasant circumstances and he did face this challenge of unreasonable people that were doing things that, that weren't really right, but yet Christ was still being proclaimed. A third area that he faced was an uncertain future. Let's pick up with verse 19. He said this, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, I want to stop there for a moment. Paul is in prison in Rome. He's going to have to appeal his case before Caesar. He's been falsely accused. And up until this time, in the other appearances that he's had before judges, he's not won his case. And that's why he's having to appeal to Rome. So there is no guarantee whatsoever that when he gets to appear before Caesar, Caesar is going to say, okay, I understand. Uh, everything's good. You haven't done anything wrong. We're going to let you go. Paul could not be certain of that. And yet Paul still says, I'm convinced that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul's talking about a deliverance that doesn't necessarily mean He's going to be freed from prison. It doesn't necessarily mean he's not going to have to suffer anymore. In fact, the Roman government could decide to keep him in prison indefinitely. They could decide to have him beaten again. He had been beaten several times already. They could have decided to execute him. They had that power and that ability. 
Paul is facing a totally uncertain future. Yet here's what he says. I eagerly expect, verse 20, and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Listen to these words, whether by life or by death. He knew both things were a real possibility. He knew that even if he did keep having life, it would might be totally different than what he wanted. And he knew he could face execution or death. Yet his main concern with that thing that he's having to face, this uncertainty, is that Christ would be exalted either way in his body. In verse 21, he goes on to say these famous words now, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What shall I choose? I don't know. I, I'm torn between the two, he says. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. He's saying, I'm convinced that, that God's going to allow me to live and that I'm going to be able to be with you again, physically, in person, face to face. And God's going to use that for your good. And he's going to use me to help you. That's what Paul ideally thought would be best. But he still said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm convinced that what Paul is trying to say to all of us, what he's wanting to remind us of, is that while we're here on this earth, if we can make it our focus and purpose to lift up Christ, then while we're here, however long we have, whatever the new normal is, whatever the circumstances are, if we will lift up Christ through that time, God's going to use us to benefit the world. It's going to be great in what God's able to do through that time. But even if we face death, whether it's through this pandemic or some other cause, if we're in Christ, even that would be gain. Even that would be far better than our lives here. You see, in Christ, it changes our perspective totally. That even under terrible circumstances and even dealing with unreasonable people and even with an uncertain future, we can have this hope in us that faith in Christ brings that allows us to have joy, joyful anticipation of what is yet to come. So I want to close with this challenge for all of us, and that is to ask ourselves this question. If we were to fill in the blanks of this statement that Paul made, for me to live as Christ, he said, and to die as gain, what about for us? For me to live is blank. How would you fill in the blank? And to die is blank. How would you fill in the blank? For some, they might say, for me to live is fame. But to die is to be forgiven forget forgotten or for me to live is money and to die is to leave it all behind for me to live is family to die is to leave them all alone for me to live is pleasure well to die would be to miss out on all the fun for me to live is power and influence well to die is to quickly become totally insignificant again so how would you fill in the blanks? For me to live 
is blank. For many of you, you could say right now, for me to live is Christ. And because of that, you could also say, for me to die is gain. But if you're listening to this message today and you can't say that for yourself, then you can change that even today. Today, you can make the decision to start from this point living for Christ. It begins with that first step of surrender to profess your faith in Jesus, come repenting of your sins, to be baptized into Christ, to rise up to that brand new life so that you can say from this point on, for me to live is Christ. I'm following him, his teachings, his instructions, his example, his encouragement, his power, his presence, his provision is there for me. So I can say for me, not only to live as Christ, but for me to die will actually be gain. And in the meantime, whatever you have to endure in this world, he will provide for you through those times. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So if for you to live as Christ, it means no matter what you face, what struggle, what, what temptation, what trial, you can count on him to provide for you what you need. For me to live as Christ, you could say. But he also went on to say in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 and following, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Not only could we say for me to live as Christ, we could say for me to die is gain. Listen to what he goes on to say. For our light and momentary troubles, the stuff we're dealing with here, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, the new normal with all the problems, right? We don't fix our eyes there. We fix our eyes on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. Friends, that's where we could say in our relationship with Christ, for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. If you want to contact us and let us know you want to learn more or take that step of learning to live for Christ, we're here for you and we want to help you with that decision. Just please message us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have this lesson from Paul today that living in his new normal with all the challenges that he faced, he still had great joy. He still could rejoice and encourage others because he had learned to focus on the positive of what you were doing and were going to do in the days ahead to bring glory and honor to the name of your son, Jesus. Help us to use the time you give us to bring you that kind of glory and honor as we encourage others with our life and our witness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.